Welcome to Wednesdays with Winnie, the podcast that covers, well, quite a lot, from fallacies and grad parties to Aquinas, Aristotle, friendships, and even Subway cookies. My hope for you is that you can sit back, relax, learn a little, laugh a little, or a lot, and come away with a lot more knowledge. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. I am excited to be doing this again. I took this Wednesday off just because I was pretty busy with college and getting everything ready, so I apologize for that. I will not be taking any more breaks from the podcast. And I actually, next week, I was trying to do this week's episode in Grand Canyon University's recording studio. They have a recording studio with soundproof rooms for podcasts, and I joined the podcasters club. (laughs) Very nerdy, but I'm excited to be able to record with more professional equipment and in completely soundproof rooms. So I think the quality of this podcast is just going to continue going up, which is a very, a very good thing. I would much rather have it go up than any other direction. But I'm excited about that, and I do apologize for not getting the episode out on Wednesday. Next Wednesday will be the third part of this series, and the title of that episode will be When Does Life Begin and Is Abortion Ever Morally Justifiable? So we've been hearing a lot of facts, statistics. We're going to continue to hear those in this episode today, but then next Wednesday we will get into the more moral part of the argument of abortion. So this week's episode is abortion clinics, eugenics, and some statistics regarding abortion. And some of these, I'm not going to lie, some of these looking up um, and finding these statistics and reading about how abortions were performed, it was very hard for me to hear. And so this is definitely a more sensitive topic. I'm going to be describing some procedures in detail, so if you can't handle that or you think something that's something that will trigger you, I would recommend um, maybe not listening to the full episode. And I will warn right before I talk about it, I will warn you guys if that's something you can't handle hearing, but it did. It's kind of hard to hear at some parts, so just wanted to give that a forewarning. And I do have an an important update since the last episode. The Supreme Court recently decided not to block a new Texas statute that um, makes abortion illegal after six weeks. So Texas basically put a new law into effect that bans abortions after six weeks. And some of the Texas justices appealed to the Supreme Court and asked them to block the law, but the Supreme Court declined the appeal. So that's another important landmark and I guess not as big as any of the cases we discussed in the last episode but it's still something that is important and that is good to know about and I also when I was like recording the other one and watching it back and doing all the editing for it I realized I said 51 states so I apologize I meant 50 I don't know why I said 51 I feel like I do that a lot though like states are the only thing that confuses my brain. So if you heard 51, (laughs) you were correct in assuming that I was wrong. Uh, 51 is not not correct. 
Okay, so without further ado, let us get into the episode. So I wanted to start with a little bit of a history of abortions. We're mostly going to talk about abortions in the United States and abortion clinics that started in the United States. But the truth is abortions have been being performed basically since the beginning of time. People have used abortifacient herbs. They have tried to use objects to procure abortions and self-induce abortions. So abortions are not something that is necessarily new, but the ease of accessibility is definitely new and how they are performed has developed a lot over the past century. So an abortifacient, just so you know, because I'm going to be using that term a lot, is any um, herb or process or medicine that not processed necessarily, but herb or medicine that causes a woman to abort without directly, um, without a direct abortion procedure, just so you all know. Um, But surgical abortion, it first became more prevalent in Great Britain and the United States in the 1800s, but when it was first being performed, it had about a 30% survival rate. So only out of a like a hundred women that got abortions, only about thirty of them would survive. So it was not a very common procedure, just because of the risks associated with it. And the first well-recorded abortion clinic in America was in Syracuse. I think I'm saying that right. I hope, fingers crossed, New York, and was started. It was an abortion clinic, but it was very secretive since abortion was illegal at the time, and started by Ann Lohman, who illegally provided abortions and abortifacient pills. And the way she provided abortions and the way they were they started to be provided starting in the early 1900s where there were simple suction suction devices that caused aspiration. So they would insert them into the woman's vagina and then up into the cervix and uterus and they would cause the fetus, the baby, to lose airflow and it would die and then they would pull it out of the woman's body, usually crushing the skull to have to do that depending on how far along the pregnancy was. And that uh, that research I got from Hor- Rainy Horwitz, who wrote an article titled The First American Birth Control Clinic, and he was a researcher at ASU. He also wrote a paper about Margaret Sanger, and some of the information I have is from this. Other parts of it are from Planned Parenthood and an encyclopedia of the history of abortion. So Margaret Sanger, after this first birth control clinic, Margaret Sanger was the second most notable, and I would say she became one of the most notable abortion allies and advocates. And she first opened a birth control clinic, so not an abortion clinic right now, but a birth control clinic on October 16, 1916. And this one was when birth control was still not legal in the United States. Um, I think we discussed that case in the other one. But uh, birth control hadn't been legalized just yet. And her clinic was opened in Brooklyn, New York, and was called the Brownsville Clinic. But only 10 days after it was opened, it was actually shut down because it was said to be out of line with the Comstock Act, an act that prohibited the sale of obscene materials like pornography and at the time birth control and um, abortion, like advertising for abortion, abortifacient pills. 
And because she published articles and titles um, through her journal, which was like the rebel woman about birth control, they had to shut it down because of that. And she was imprisoned because after the 10 days when she was shut down, they gave her the option to not open the clinic again and get out of jail or to serve time. And so she served time, but when she was let out, she founded the American Birth Control League, which later developed into Planned Parenthood and the organization that we know it as today. And she was the first president of Planned Parenthood. And another thing that many people don't know about why Margaret Sanger was such a strong advocate for birth control, a number one, she was from a large family, which she cites as one of the reasons she became such a staunch advocate of birth control and then later abortion. So she grew up in a family with 11 siblings, so 11, 10 brothers and sisters. She was the sixth, if I am not mistaken. And she cites that her family and having so many brothers and sisters and often not enough to eat was one of the reasons that she started this. But she was also, um, she believed in the practice of eugenics, which for those of you that don't know, eugenics, and this is the Merriam-Webster definition, is the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of hereditable characteristics regarded as desirable, developed largely by Sir Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race, eugenics was increasingly discredited as unscientific and racially biased during the 20th century, especially after the adoption of its doctrines by the Nazis in order to justify their treatment of Jews, disabled people, and other minority groups. And here I'm just going to read a couple of quotes. Sorry, my microphone is being like it's being funky today. But we're going to continue. Here are a couple of quotes from Margaret Sanger. And this is the first quote was from the eugenic value of birth control propaganda. And she says in 1921, Today eugenics is suggested by the most diverse minds as the most adequate and thorough avenue in the solution of racial, political, and social problems. So she's saying the practice of selectively killing or sterilizing people is the most helpful in um, controlling certain races and problems, which (laughs) that is in no way a good thing to say. And the second is from The Pivot of Civilization, 1922. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. And this is in regards to Negroes in a letter she was, in an article she was penning, And she said that about African-American people. The second or the third quote is from Birth Control and Racial Betterment in 1919. Before eugenists and others who are laboring for racial betterment can succeed, and by racial betterment she means the suppression of minorities and um, killing black babies. Um... They must first clear the way for birth control. Like the advocates of birth control, the eugenists, for instance, are seeking to exist the race toward the elimination of the unfit. Both are seeking a single end, but they lay emphasis upon different methods. So here she is um, comparing birth control and eugenics. And um, so her clinic was open again. And the reason that she was allowed to open it and start all of this and continue publishing was because she started not giving out birth control to clients and stopped publishing 
um, pamphlets that she gave to people. She didn't stop publishing them, but she stopped handing them out and instead just spoke verbally and told them where they could find abortifacient drugs, birth control. And in 1926, she also spoke to the woman's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan at a rally in New Jersey to promote birth control methods to black women. Sanger also endorsed the 1927 Buck versus Bell decision, which was a court case in which the Supreme Court ruled that states could forcibly sterilize people deemed unfit without their consent and sometimes without their knowledge. And by unfit, the case was referring to disabled people or people in mental asylums. So that's a little bit of a history on Margaret Sanger, abortion clinics, how they started, and a little bit of the practices behind the thinking of birth control and eugenics, which, as Margaret Sanger said, were very closely linked. So the federal government, just so you all know, the federal government no longer directly funds Planned Parenthood because the Trump administration issued a rule in February of 2019 prohibiting grants and the federal Title X family planning program from referring um, those funds to abortions or being co-located with an abortion clinic. So Planned Parenthood doesn't receive fun- federal funding that they can use freely for whatever services they want just because our government doesn't want it going to abortion because it is currently illegal. However, state governments can um, fund Planned Parenthoods and abortion clinics, and abortion clinics are often reimbursed through Medicaid holders. Only in cases of rape can public federal funding be used in abortion, which we talked about last time was the the Hyde Amendment, which is something the current president wants to repeal. So there's a little bit more information on funding of abortions. And now I'm just going to give some statistics about abortions and talk about the numbers and what's being performed. So in 2019, a total of 888,000 abortions took um, place in in America and about 18% of all pregnancies were terminated. And this is the Guttmacher Institute. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, uh, 254,871 of those were performed by Planned Parenthood. So that's a little bit less than 1,000 abortions a day, if my math is correct. And that is a 2.7% increase from 2018 to the true 2019. And this is according to their own financial reports. Another fact, according to the CDC, women in their 20s are the most common age group with an abortion rate of 28.5%. So 28.5% of women in their 20s that get pregnant have abortions. And um, for women 20 to 20 or 26 to 29, that rate is 29.4%. Um, black women are 3.4 times more likely to get abortions than white women. And medical abortions account for 39% of all abortions. And a medical abortion is where someone takes the two pills, mifoprestone and misoprostol. And mifoprestone blocks progesterone, and then it's followed by misoprostol, which causes the uterus to contract and expel the embryo. And this is usually not given past a certain point in pregnancy. So if you are having a medically induced abortion, they do not allow you to have it after, I want to say, 12 weeks, I'm pretty sure. 
<laughs> but um, so 39% of abortions are those medical abortions and those you do not need to be at a clinic or have any um, medical supervision. You just have to get them from the pharmacy prescribed by a doctor. Um, 60% of abortions were curatage, meaning dilation and evacuation. So those are the more, those are like the medically performed abortions with like suction procedures and dismemberment. And that's according to the CDC. 92% of abortions take place before the child was 14 weeks and 78% occurred prior to the 10th week of gestation. So at 10 weeks, a baby is about the size of a strawberry and has fingernails and hair. And at 14 weeks, it's a kiwi, like the size of a kiwi, and it's able to make faces. But a lot of people, I think, suffer from the misconception that abortions are happening right up until, like, a child is born. But generally, that's not the case. A lot of times if people are making an abortion, they don't wait until, oh, nine months, and then they're like, oh, I don't want this baby. It's usually a much earlier decision. Which is why um, laws of late-term abortions are very good. Any, like, laws prohibiting them or not allowing them. But any, um, for the most part, most abortions aren't happening that late. So people don't realize it, but it's very important to consider the timeline of when abortions take place. And most of them do not take place when a child is, like, about to be born or a woman's very far along in her pregnancy pregnancy. They're happening quite early on. And in 2014, a total of 1,671 facilities were providing abortion in America. And that's also according to the Guttmacher Institute. And in 2013, implemented TRAP laws required that physicians who provided abortions have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals and that clinics providing abortions meet the standards of ambulatory surgical centers. Following the implementation of these laws, more than half of the 46 clinics in the state of Florida closed and the abortion rate declined by 13% in April 2014. So in Florida, when a law mandated that abortion clinics have the same rules and standards of conduct and cleanliness as a hospital, a lot of abortion clinics had to close because they were not up to those standards. So it's also important to recognize abortion clinics are not um, all medically safe facilities. And in the states with those more restrictive abortion laws, a media analysis also found that self-induced abortion as measured via Google searches was higher than states in the states with more restrictive abortion laws, which is an expected statistic, but I just wanted to include that. And the average cost of an abortion is 505 out of pocket, but for the most part, most people are not paying for abortions out of pocket. They have insurance that supplies and pays for it, or the abortion clinics offer payment plans, so it's not generally a 505 out of pocket cost. And in 2014, 4% of abortions, U.S. abortions, all of these statistics are regarding U.S. abortions, unless I say otherwise, but 4% of U.S. abortions occurred in hospitals when 1% occurred in physicians' offices, the other 95% occurred in those freestanding 
abortion clinics without any established doctor-patient relationship. And that goes back to the previous statistic. So abortion clinics are not generally the most um, controlled environments as far as a medical procedure goes and as far as most people would prefer a medical procedure to be. But those are some statistics and facts regarding it. And I tried to be objective. Of course, you all, you know all where I know where I stand on this issue. But this episode was more of just bringing to light how abortion clinics were started, a little bit more information about Margaret Sanger and the first abortion clinic, and some statistics of how abortion is happening in America right now. I feel like it's very important to not necessarily have them all down and memorized, but to be aware of what's happening, how it's happening, what percentage of abortions are happening as like surgical abortions or medically, medical drug, drugged abortions. And I think that these understanding something is one of the first steps towards arguing against it and bringing the truth to light. So I want to supply you all with the facts to understand this issue as best you can and be able to defend your views on it, which we're going to be getting into more next week because next week we're actually going to be talking about the ethical, eth- the ethicalities of abortion and when life begins and why it begins at that time and really looking into how to argue that and whether or not abortion is ethical unethical in all situations. So next week, I'm really excited for these weeks are just very fact-heavy episodes. So next week will be much more of the actual debate and argument against it. So I just want to end this episode with a Bible verse. And once again, I hope I have addressed this topic with the seriousness and sensitivity such a grave topic requires. So, the Bible verse for this week is Colossians 2 verse 8 in Paul's letter to the Colossians. See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world rather than accordance with Christ. And I wanted to do this Bible verse because I thought it was very fitting. There are people that will tell us that one thing is right because the world is doing it or a lot of people say that it is right and good but when we're deciding whether something is right or good we really need to go to the author of right and good who is Christ and the Lord God himself and so I just wanted I thought this quote was very fitting for today's episode and I hope you find it and beneficial as well anyways that's all for this week and I will see you all next week Thank you for listening to this episode of Wednesdays with Winnie. I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on just to let me know how I'm doing. Anyways, God bless and see you next Wednesday.